The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Well, good morning and welcome again as we jump into the Word and the fall of Saul. I do want to report to you, man, I, we did have a great trip to uh, Oklahoma, and I, I've seen some things. Man, I, I've seen the Lord move a lot through my life, um, but man, I... He is up to something special, and I am, I am thrilled to be a part of it. Uh, the, the, there's something happening in what we're, we're seeking to be, to walk in obedience and discipleship. Uh, the one thing that, like, so why discipleship? Because I know, man, like some of you are in discipleship, some of you are not, um, and some of you are like, man, what is this? It seems a little weird. Let me just be transparent with you. Why are we doing this? There's one thing that I can look in the Word and say, this is what Jesus said to do. Like, Jesus said, go make disciples. Um, he didn't say, go make gatherings of people on Sunday morning. He said, go make disciples and who know how to obey me, who know how to hear from me, who know how to spend time with me, uh, who know how to be like me. Like, that's what Jesus told us to do. And so we've, we've jumped in that, man, like in a way that I never have in my ministry uh, for, you know, for getting close to 20 years. Like, so we're in it, and, and the Lord is moving, and, and it's hard. Like, it's a difficult thing to do. Like, you'd think it would just be easy, but I, because Jesus said to do it, but you, you see there's opposition. There's the opposition of your, like, the Lord doing it through you and the weakness of yourself and, and then getting people raised up. And so, like, like but it's, it's cool, man, and so... Like, I'm, I'm going back to Oklahoma uh, with uh, Shay and Molly and Abby and, and Corey. We leave on Sunday, or we left Thursday morning at like 7, came back Friday night and got home about 7. And it, we, we're, call, it's, we're saying it's a conference, but it really wasn't a conference. Because when you think of conference, you think, oh, man, all these things. It was more of a meeting of like-minded individuals, um, people who are doing discipleship um, like we are. And so it was hosted by my home church that, that I was the only other church I've been a pastor of in Oklahoma. And so they, um, they kind of were hosting it because the friend of mine who I did discipleship with here in Kansas City is now the pastor there. And so like, like I'm looking around, man, and there are people, there are young people, there are older people, there are all ages of people. Uh, and it, man, it, like it was, it was just powerful that people were walking in obedience, like to the lordship of Jesus in their lives, and they were mar- like they were marked. They were clearly marked with the Holy Spirit on their lives, like there was power and authority in what they were saying because they were in agreement with what we find in the Word. And when they would pray, you could tell they were talking to the Lord and the Lord was listening. And so it was this real, like, like there's just these moments, several of them that happened over the course of that short period where I just kept scratching my head and going, man, this is the church. Like, this is what the church is supposed to look like. And one of the crazy things about it is so... you guys, probably most of you, the only thing you know about Hera is what I say about it. But, like, 
It's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Like it's out, it's a rural place. And so it's 20 minutes, 25 minutes from downtown Oklahoma City, but it's on the outskirts. And so there's a lot, like it's a rural community. Um, and I found myself sitting there looking around, and there were people from Kansas City, like a bunch of people, like 15 to 20 people from Kansas City right there in Hera. And I was like, what, what, are you, what are you doing? Like, I'm used to seeing all these people five hours away, and I never would have dreamed in the, like, just even a few years ago, I would have never dreamed that all the people that I'm doing ministry with would be back at the place that I did all of my ministry with back in Oklahoma. But yeah, there they were, and, and like, there's just something special happening. So I, I say all that to say, man, like, don't resist what the Lord is trying to do in this church because it is special. And pay attention to what the Lord is trying to do in your life because it is special. Like there's something happening in the midst of the body of believers that goes beyond OPCC and, and there are a few churches that are involved in it and, and it is a special thing. So don't like take it lightly. Pay, pay attention, and my prayer for you as a body of believers is that the Lord would give you eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart of understanding, and that you, you would be able to, like, 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 things would start moving in your life this way, because they're not supposed to just move in my life this way. Like, the Lord is not just supposed to move in me and Shay and Corey and, and the staff. Like, the Lord is supposed to move in his people. And when you see and you read in the New Testament, he was moving in all of them, powerfully. It didn't matter who it was, man. The, the spirit of the Lord was upon them, and they were accomplishing incredible things for the kingdom. And that's, man, that's, that's what we need. Like, that's what the world needs. Like, our country, man, this, our country is it's so fragile right now. Like, it's so, like, it just feels like it could break, and this great thing we call America could fall apart. But the hope of it it being fixed, the hope of it being fixed is the church. It is the people of God listening to the people of God and, and becoming obedient and following him and doing what he is asking them to do and being able to recognize what is he asking me to do, being able to hear his voice. Jesus said it so clearly. It's such a powerful thing that Jesus said, my, my sheep will hear, they, they hear my voice. They know my voice. They follow me. And it, was a, it was a very like important thing that Jesus was establishing in John chapter 10 and the, 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 the teaching of the good shepherd. He's like, man, my sheep are going to hear me and they're going to follow me. And so I think like when I look at this um, and see like, why is it so powerful? Why, why does this discipleship that we're doing intentionally carry with it such power? I think it's because we're helping people to really say, bro, are you listening to the voice of God? And if you're not, it's going to be apparent. And you're not going to be able to run away from it. Like, you can't hide from it. See, like on Sunday morning, man, I can preach a word. The Spirit of God can fall over, all over my life. And under the anointing of the, of the Holy Spirit, I can preach in the power and demonstration uh, of, of, of the Lord rolling through me. But you can hide. You don't have to obey anything that the Lord says to you through the, 
the foolishness of my preaching, as Paul says. Like, you can hide. But, man, when we get in these groups, like, you can't hide anymore. And so it, it becomes where they're like the rubber meets the road, man. Are you going to listen to the Lord and follow him? And, and as people step into that, as scary as it is, um, man, they start seeing freedom break out in their lives in ways they never knew. And they start experiencing God moving in ways they never have. And they get fired up. And I'm reminded of stories, man. I, I don't want I, I to get ahead of myself, but Jason Lynch, man, I've been walking with him and he's got some stories. And I'm going to save them for later. I want to tell them real bad right now. They're good. They're good stories. And you can see the Lord is like, I mean, he's, he's got Jason. He's, he's pressing in on Jason. And Jason is learning some things that, like, he's never experienced before. And it's obvious because there's an enthusiasm in his voice and his heart beats for the Lord louder than it is, is it, I've ever heard it beat. And, and it's because we've intentionally been walking and he's trusting. And, and he's, like, I'm going to tell you, if you ask him, is it scary? He'll tell you, yeah, it's scary. And it is. But that's the beauty of it. And so, like, we look at all of that and none of it's in my notes, by the way. But I think it's kind of like the Lord setting us up like some, some, some sermons. I can't wait to get there. I'm going to get down in there with the people, man. I'm going to fire them up. They're going to go out of here, and they would charge the gates of hell with a water gun. And some sermons are like, I don't even want to go to church today. Today's sermon is called The Darkest Hour. It's an object lesson of how seriously God reacts to willful disobedience. And the more I've thought about it, and the more I even like the Lord like leading me to kind of open the sermon with what I just shared with you, the more I see how much it is connected with John chapter 10 and the sheep hearing the voice of the Lord. And... Uh, I would say to you that God has a word for you today regarding truth. And we find it in 1 Samuel chapter 15, and it is the darkest hour in Saul's life. It is known as the darkest hour in the major prophets of the Old Testament. So we look at the, 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 the major prophets in the books that surround them. Like, this, man, this one is... Like it's got some hard stuff in it. And so we will not shy away from it. We will jump right down into it. And I would encourage you as we unpack the story to really like put yourself in here in the midst of it and go, man, what is the Lord saying to me as we unpack this? And I'm, I, so we're just going to unpack I'm going to make some, you know, I'll, I'll give you some interpretation along the way as I tell the story and then I'll give you some points that I think are targeted and, and, and help us to go lay them across our lives and go, man, where, where am I at? Uh, because I think we see some things that are happening in the modern day church that, that, is, that explains why even though the church is like, there are churches everywhere and there are, there are followers of Christ all over America but for the number of followers of Christ and the amount of power that we have as a body of believers, something's off. And I think it gives us an explanation of what, what may be a part of the problem with, with the church. 
So it says, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people, Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. Now I'm reading in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1. And what Samuel's doing here is he's, a, he's establishing the authority that he has in Saul's life. He is a prophet of God. You have to understand that when this was happening, 1 Samuel was not written and had not been canonized and recognized by the church because the church did not exist. The church wouldn't exist for thousands of years later. And so God would use prophets and he would give them the ability to perform miraculous events so that people could recognize that they had power unlike normal men so they could be trusted. And so when they would prophesy something and proclaim something and it came to pass, they knew this was a, not a false prophet, but a real prophet of God. And so when we look at Samuel saying this, it's like the word of God. And you say, well, we, do we have that today? No, we don't. Why? Because we have the canon of scripture and it's not necessary anymore. The word of God is the prophet of God. So I serve in a context of um, a prophet after the resurrection and birth of the Christ. I serve as a prophet only in I proclaim what is already revealed. I don't proclaim new revelation from the Lord. I proclaim the revelation from the Lord that the Holy Spirit teaches me from the, the Holy Scriptures. This is why it is so important to have a high view of the Scripture. And there are many churches that don't have a high view of the Scripture. We believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. It is the Word of God. It is God-breathed. We don't believe that just a bunch of men decided to get together and write these words down. We believe that the Holy Spirit came over them, much like He's coming over me right now and giving me the power and authority to preach the gospel. What I'm reading, He came out over them to write the things that we read about. And so we look at the Bible and we say, man, OPCC has a very high view of the word of God. We believe it is alive and active and we believe that it will pierce our hearts. And if we will yield to it and obey it as the prophet of God and the Holy Spirit works in us to illuminate what he's trying to say to us, that power will come into our lives. That's how we look at the Bible. And as soon as you start washing that away, and there are churches that are doing, there are churches all over our community that do that. They wash down the authority of the scripture. And when you do that, you have no authority and power in your life because you're changing it. You're changing what it is. And so this is what Samuel is coming to Saul and he's saying, I'm the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people, Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them, but put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. You don't like to reflect. That's not a verse you want to preach about right there. How do we understand God like that? Kill the babies, kill the cattle, kill the sheep, kill the men, kill the women. What is going on here? Well, you have to understand this is a very evil group of people. God is still writing in history. He's communicating with humanity through a nation. And so our, even our understanding of who God is today when we study theology 
is that we have like we look at Israel as a nation and we see God saying things to us. We have the word of God that we can read about the historical accounts and, and the things that happen, but at this point in time, they didn't have that. And so God is communicating to humanity. And I love what C.S. Lewis says is like, God is hammering out through time. He's hammering out through this nation, Israel, what he is like to all the other nations. And so like, if you're God and you're a spiritual being and you're going to speak to your creation that is a human being, this is really a brilliant way to do it. And so God is bringing this nation that he loves and he chose to to tell this story through to all the nations. They would be the hope of the nations, and that's why the church is the hope of the world today, because the Gentiles have been grafted into Israel. And so we, we look at that, and we see that when God was bringing Israel out of the bondage of Egypt, and he's leading them through the wilderness, they are untrained. They, they're just a large group of people, women and children and, and, and you know, infants and, and, and their, their livestock and their, their, you know, their men and their possessions, all of them together, untrained, no weapons coming out of Egypt as slaves. They were slaves. And when they came out, the Amalekites... It says they waylaid them. And so if you go back and you, you study, I believe it's in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1, verses 1 through 15, something like that, you'll see that when that happens, it's, it's, it's the battle when, when Moses' arms are raised up and Joshua's down in the valley, they're able to, to fight back against them. And so God makes a prophecy at that particular time that there will be war between Israel and the Amalekites for years, for generations, and then I will blot them out. And so, so what is happening here is the prophecy that was made well in advance of this, a long time in history before, now God is saying, today is the day that it's going to come to pass, and I'm going to fulfill that prophecy. And so God, one of the reasons that he allowed this to happen, and it looks so abusive, we must ask ourselves, okay, these Amalekites were still raiding. They would come in, they were just a wicked people. They had, um, you know, uh, uh, idols that they would worship. They were involved in pagan worship, and they would just come in, and they would invade and attack the Israelites, and they would carry off their women and, and take them, and they would take their possessions. And so they were harming them physically. And so when we look at this, not only were they harming them physically, they were, th there would be influence that was happening to all of the nations because of how evil and vile they were and because of the pagan worship they were involved in. And so God gives an order to eradicate them. And in eradicating them, he is eradicating evil from the face of the earth, and he's protecting both physically the bodies and souls of Israel. And so there's a point to it. And so we see, man, whoa, like God is serious there. He's not messing around. But I'm thankful that we see some other stuff that we see, man, okay, God, like he, he's executing judgment in this particular situation. And so Saul summoned the men and mustered them, it says in verse 4, at Tilaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men from Judah. And Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, go away, leave the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you along with them. For you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt, so the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. And so we see the grace of God. Like God saw in these people, they were um, 
uh, relatives of Jethro, who was Moses' father-in-law. Remember, Moses spent some time in the wilderness before he was sent back to Egypt to to release uh, or to deliver the Egyptians, and they were favorable to the Israelites. And so we see in one verse there, we see, man, whoa, the wrath of God, but we also see the grace of God. And so we cannot just go and go, man, I, like, like, there are two things you cannot be guilty of. One is like looking at that and saying, man, I, I just can't believe in a God who executes wrath like that. Really? Like, what do you, don't you think that if people don't turn to him in forgiveness, that do awful, vile things, and they're proud and wicked individuals, and they never turn from their sin, should there, like, how can a God exist who does not, like, how can he retain his holiness if there is not judgment upon that individual's sin? For instance, uh, Hitler, like um, he, he is uh, responsible for evil on the planet and, and, and the countless lives that were abused. If a man doesn't turn from his sin and turn to God and repent, there needs to be justice for that. And I am not okay worshiping a God who does not execute justice when grace is not received in his life. Like, like that's a very important view of God. If you want to have like this, all this fluffy stuff, oh, God is love. You can't be loving if you don't execute justice. There's no such thing. Like sometimes it needs to be executed. But then we see on the same thing that God executes mercy. And we see grace to the Kenites that are offered. And they took and received the grace. And because of um, uh, their, their service to the Israelites, it was extended to them earlier. And so God recognized the kind of people they were. So there is compassion. And so we see that taking place in this story. And I am comforted by that. This is then Saul, after they cleared out in verse 7, attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah, to sure. So to the east of Egypt, he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with a sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved that I made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled Troubled, and he cried out to the Lord all night. I mean, I've been there. Like, I've been troubled before by the Lord, stirred, and just had to call out to the Lord all night. Just sit with the Lord and call out to him because I couldn't sleep and go find a place in the middle of the night. There have been times that I have woken up, and I have literally, some of you I have prayed for just because I've been troubled. And that's what was going on with Samuel because Saul was unwilling to follow through with everything that God had told him to do. Early in the morning after he had had this troubled night, it says that Samuel got up and he went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. 
There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. He went to a place of celebrating the big victory that he just had over the Amalekites, and he sets up an image in his own honor, some sort of a monument. Could have been a triumphal arch or something of that nature, but he set something up to honor himself. So when Samuel reached him, when he realized he wasn't there, he went on. And when Samuel reached him, Saul said, Saul runs out to him. And what I see in this is the audacity of people who are walking in disobedience to God and think that they are, is that's what we're seeing here. They think they're obedient, but they're walking in disobedience. They become so arrogant. And so when Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. And I got it done, bro. I filled, I fulfilled the mission. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? You see, he had brought back the spoils of the war. God didn't want them to have anything to do with that. They were so wicked, God wanted all left in the battlefield. And they were unwilling to destroy the good stuff. They just destroyed the stuff they despised. So Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord who? The Lord your God. You see the problem? Like he doesn't know God as Lord. But we totally destroyed the rest. What's Samuel's response? Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Why'd you do that, Saul? But I did obey the Lord, Samuel, or Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Man, we did all this, man. Like, what are you talking about, Samuel? I was right in the heat of the battle, and we went and destroyed all those people, and we brought back the best stuff in order to celebrate and honor God and, and sacrifice it and worship God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? You see it there? Like, what is God concerned with? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion, listen to this verse. Man, it's so strong. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. What is rebellion like? The sin of divination, witchcraft, and arrogance like the evil light of idolatry. Because you have rejected, what? Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. And what does he say? I was afraid of the people and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, Forgive my sin and come back 
with me so that I may worship the Lord. So now he's asking Samuel to forgive him, and he's trying to get Samuel to come back and worship with him because he's worried about what are the people going to think when the prophet no longer endorses him. When the word no longer is the authority in his life, what are the people of Israel going to think? That's what's going on here. Like that's the modern day application for us as we cross that timeless bridge. He was concerned about his political reign and how hard it would be for him to manage the people if all the people knew that the prophet who carried all of the power had departed and he was no longer with them. And so as Samuel responds to him. He says to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. And as Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught a hold of the hem of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you to today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. And so he turns from him and Saul reaches out and he grabs and most people would agree that he ends up catching a tassel on Saul, Samuel's gar- garment. And get this, the tassels were there swinging to remind the prophet and the people of God, the commands of God. And it tears. And the prophet looks at the tear and he says, man, the kingdom has been ter- torn from you today. Just like that. And so Saul As he says, he replies to him and he says, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. And so one might ask, why did Samuel go back with him? I think Samuel went back with him because God was looking at like there needed to be like some sort of... um, ability to control and lead the people even though he had been rejected as king and David was not in office and wouldn't be so for a while and so Samuel does go back with him (laughs) this is man where it gets really crazy so he goes back with him in verse 32 and it says Samuel says bring me Agag king of the Amalekites And Agag came to him confidently, thinking, surely the bitterness of death is past. So here comes the king, and he's thinking to himself, surely the bitterness of death is past. He's looking at the old man, the prophet, and he recognizes they're not bringing him to the king, but they're bringing him to the old man, the prophet. Don't forget that the prophet, I think, for us as we make the application, represents the word of God. And so he's looking at that, and he's walking up to the old man, the prophet. Surely death has passed me. The bitterness of death has gone. And so he came to him confidently, it says, but Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. And Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul until the, days, until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him, and the Lord was grieved that he had made Saul king over Israel. Wow. Man, that Hebrew word there says that when Samuel took that king out, he cut him to pieces. 
I'm reminded of Hebrews. It says the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce into our thoughts, separating the, 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 like it separates the marrow from the spiritual, the physical from the spiritual. And so like we look at that and go, man, what? wow. <laughs> There's so much going on here. And as we work through it, let me give you some takeaways. Because it's heavy. But let me say to you that I, I am not afraid of it being heavy to you. I'm more afraid of coming to you knowing that the Lord has called me to give you a heavy message and keeping my mouth shut. With special opportunity comes special responsibility. That's the first takeaway. Samuel reminds Saul of his authority, and he says, I have a word for you today. And so we learn that when we are going to have the opportunity that the Lord places before us, like it carries special responsibility, and the word must carry authority in our lives. That's where the church has gone wrong. The word does not carry authority in people's lives as it ought to. When we read the word and it convicts us, we ought to be like on our knees going, I have sinned like I'm not trying to play a game here with God. I'm not trying to fool my friends, my pastor, or anybody else. I am walking with the Lord and word brings authority into my life and speaks to me about areas of my life that are out of balance with what the authority of the word says. I need to yield to that. What did Jesus say? My, my sheep hear my voice, and they listen. He is the Logos. Saul was given the opportunity to fulfill a prophecy. It was an incredible opportunity. As gruesome as it was, it was an incredible opportunity in the sovereignty of God, and we look at it and we see the entirety of God, um, the Father, and he is, he's executing justice and grace at the same time but he was unwilling to be faithful and carry it out. What he was, was partially obedient. And partial obedience is disobedience. Partly obeying the Lord is disobeying the Lord. That's what we see happening in this story. He destroyed what he despised, but was unwilling to destroy the good stuff. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. What does that mean? Execute yourself, die to yourself and follow me. Like, but often I think we're willing to destroy the weak stuff, but we're going to hold on to the good stuff. Partial obedience is disobedience. You can't get away from it. Like we see that all over here because he did do some things that were really good. He did it partly, but he did not do it all the way. And the reason that he did not do it all the way is because he did not accept the truth of the authority of the prophet in his life saying, this is the mission of God, do it this way. And when we ignore truth, it produces grief in heaven and loss on earth. Saul set up a monument to himself. He had a major blind spot. When Moses had a victory, he set up a monument to God. When Joshua had a victory, he set up a monu monument to God. When Saul had a victory, he set up a monument to self. 
Why? Because he was not allowing the authority of God to be and do what it was supposed to do in his life. And so often the case with partial obedience to the Lord is that we end up with blind spots. This is why Jesus says, Lord, give them eyes to see and ears to hear that they may understand and that the veil may be dropped and they see you clearly for who they are. And so what do they do because of this blind spot? They pounce on the plunder that was to be left in the field. The Lord, like this was such a gruesome time. Like the Lord, like this was even a painful time for the Lord as he's executing this justice. He does not want his people benefiting off of it. There were battles that they would benefit off of, but this was not one. That's how wicked the Amalekites were. And so he says, you have rejected his word and he has rejected you as king. So he asked Sam to forgive him so he could worship. But as I said, his problem was not with Sam, it was with God, but he was turning to a man. And he was only repenting to save face with, save face with the people, which was the ultimate hypocrisy. The Lord, it says, was grieved because of Saul's behavior as king. This is important to know because we go, wait, but I thought you said God was sovereign. Here's what you have to understand. God did not change his mind about Paul. He changed his attitude toward him, his posture toward him, his ability to have favor toward him. Saul's heart no longer belonged to God. It belonged to his own interest. And so there was incredible loss on earth in his life. And there was incredible grief in heaven. What did Jesus say? <laughs> like when he's talking about faith and he's talking about Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven and whatever you bind will be bound. Like there, there is a direct relationship in how we experience our lives. There is a correlation to the loss in our own lives to the loss in what can happen for the kingdom on the earth and the grief or the joy that we can bring into heaven. And so we see that and we go, man, here's the deal. Sacrifice is never a substitute for disobedience. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to build this case and I'll wrap it up just here in a moment. So stay with me. He says, we spared the best to sacrifice to your Lord. Saul says, I did obey. I just kept the best for God. And so he justifies his actions. And so the, the, the prophet tells him, the Lord delights in obeying his voice. It's better to heed than it is to sacrifice. So Saul deceived himself. He probably thought in his mind, this really doesn't matter. Like I really did defeat them. And they're all like, take it out. I'm just keeping a few here. He deceived himself, and dishonest people begin to believe their lives or lies. And when they begin to believe their lies, they cannot distinguish between truth and lies. Okay, so they're like, there's no authority in their life. And so what do they do? They can say, well, I know that so-and-so believes this way, but, you know, I found this person over here who believes this way, and so I'm, you know, I'm kind of in the middle. I get what they're saying. I get what they're saying. Who cares what they're saying, man? What does the word say? 
Like, what is your interpretation of this is what the word of God says and what are you going to do about it in your life? Because it doesn't matter if you can find someone who agrees with you or find someone that you disagree with. What matters with is the Holy Spirit moving in your life and speaking to you, calling you by name and saying, I'm calling you to obedience right here through my word. And what is he saying to you and what are you doing about it? Don't go look for other places to try to excuse and justify your sin because we can see that as exactly what Saul was doing in this moment. Always tell the truth, even when it hurts and it's hard. And you know who's the hardest person to tell the truth to? Yourself. Like, look yourself in the mirror and be honest and yield to the truth. Because if not, you can get caught in this vicious cycle that leads you far away from the Lord and sacrifice is religion if we ignore the Lord, like if we ignore the word. And so this is religion versus relationship. And he tells us rebellion is like divination because why? We are walking away from the truth. So this is what it looks like. You come to church every Sunday. You give faithfully. But you're not being obedient where the Lord is calling you to be obedient. But you say, oh, well, I give. And I go to church. See, that's sacrifice, and it, it's good. The Lord is not saying we're not supposed to sacrifice. What he's saying is we're not supposed to be sacrificing and trying to use the sacrifice to excuse our disobedience. Like we are to walk in obedience and, and be these people who are open and honest before the Lord, not perfect, but we're walking and we're listening. And as he shows us and points out through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, areas of our lives that need to be yielded, we're willing to listen to that authority in our lives and yield to it as opposed to running. And so rebellion is like divination because we are walking away from the truth. And here's the big idea. Good intentions never justify evil actions. Man, when I wrote that, you know what? Do I use the word evil? I didn't even want to say evil. If we are resisting what the Lord has for us, and we are ignoring his voice. It is like the sin of divination, and it is evil. And there's no way to get around it. And so they can't go, well, man, look, the person had good intentions. I think I'm guilty of this often. I see people who are walking away from the Lord, and I will tell myself, well, they, man, I know their hearts are good. I know that they're in the right place. I know that they want to do good. But the truth of the matter is, is I need to kind of own up and go, man, they are sinning and walking away from God. So Saul, he says, I sinned, I ignored God because I was afraid of the people. And it says, Samuel mourned for Saul, but he did not see him again. And I, <laughs> I got people on my mind right now. that I mourn for. People I love, people I, I try to lead, ignore the voice of the Lord and rebel. I don't see them no more. 
We are called. We see in this situation, Samuel told Saul the mission was to destroy wickedness. But if we ignore the truth, we only end up increasing it. I want to end on this. I think it is very important. God did not reject Saul as a person. He rejected him as king. And God's rejection of Saul's position of authority was caused by Saul's rejection of God's authoritative word. Who's going to start teaching people how to listen to the voice of the Lord? And how are you going to teach people how to listen to the voice of the Lord if you don't know how to listen to the voice of the Lord yourself? How are you going to roll through life with power and authority if power and authority only comes by you understanding your identity in Jesus as an adopted son or daughter of God and you're yielding in surrender and obedience to that and because of your identity and because of your obedience, power and authority are rolling out in your life because you know how to take the word and lay it over your life. And we just keep getting stuck. Man, it's hard for me to read the Bible. Yeah. Because the Bible is the key to your authority and power on this planet and making a difference for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so all of hell is going to oppose your ability to get disciplined and start getting in the Word and consuming what it has for you. That's why it's hard. But I'm going to tell you, as soon as you start experiencing the freedom of the Lord, it will be hard for you to put this thing down and walk away from it. Because you will start realizing, man, I'm, I feel like I'm in prison. What happened to me? What happened is we're rebelling. We're walking away from the voice of the Lord, what he's called us to, all the freedom that he has for us. And so, like, man, like, here's the thing, like, God's trying to raise our church up. Not to be the next big super church in Overland Park. Plenty of those. God is trying to raise this church up. To be a group of people who listen to his voice. Respond to his authoritative word in their lives. And teach other people how to do the same thing. God is trying to raise us up to be the kind of church that we walk in with authority and power to a room, and as soon as we get into the room, it is changed by our presence. And that, that happens when people are walking with the Lord. Why? Because the Lord gets all over us as he looks down upon us with favor, and this is what he's trying to accomplish on the planet that he's doing through people like us. And so it's an incredible opportunity, but know that incredible opportunities come with incredible responsibility. Are you listening? Like, are you able to hear the voice of the Lord? Like we're going to try to teach you how. Man, let me just push back hard. Like, I feel like this is from the Lord. 
Quit being critical of the hard thing we're trying to do and get behind us and call out for the Lord. What are you trying to do, Lord? I'm not trying to make a living here, guys. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to advance a kingdom that is special to Jesus. And so like, it's all of us. And the Lord is going to do some stuff in your life. And you got to be expectant and waiting and go, man, like, Lord, what do you want to say? And I'm like, I'm doing my best and it, it's tough. But I'm trying to raise up people that can raise up people that can teach people how to listen to the voice of the Lord and obey. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.